Welcome to the Intercept World Podcast. Uh, Zach got a job at the Athletic covering the NBA, so he's immediately quit his job and stopped turning up for work. Not really, he'll be here tomorrow again. But uh, this week we have Nora Prince. Is, is it Princiati or is it like Pinciati? That's what I was thinking from that 70s Yachty. show. Yachty is the girl from that 70s show. Not <laughs> I imagine you've heard that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I actually got that from the, the TSA person this morning. Really, is that bad? Um, all right, so like technically you're a football writer, but I feel like the reason you're on here right now is to defend the Super Bowl halftime show that I slandered. Okay, I'm excited for Maroon Five. I I'm the right demo for Maroon Five, but you know what? Everybody is. This is just. Uh, I see everybody's point that Atlanta is a city with an incredibly rich musical culture, but. The Super Bowl halftime show is not about the people who are at the Super Bowl. If you're at the Super Bowl, the NFL does not need to appeal to you. Oh, yeah. But I, don't, I, I don't care about that. Friends who are really excited that it's Maroon 5. So everyone needs to calm down. I don't care about that. I just don't think Maroon 5 are that good. <laughs> you know what? The are- hits have kept on coming, okay? And yeah. This Love was a banger. I think that, I was- this, this Love is one of their worst songs. I'll be honest with you. Oh. God, everything everything you've ever said is now just like tainted by well, that one awful take. It's a great song. I've seen Maroon Five on tour. They're a less interesting version of Coldplay. No, I just completely disagree with that. And I love Adam, even though he's like dyed his hair blonde and is getting clearly very weird. But I, I, I'll give you that. Sugar is a good song. Sugar is a great song. Great car song. They have so many great songs. This is just this is like a one-sided <laughs> argument. Not every not every take has two sides to it. There's really only one right answer to this, which is that it's a fine choice. Everyone needs to calm down. So we'll put you down as not someone who's got to hear both sides on, on every issue. You know what? While I'm losing friends rapidly, <laughs> I thought Justin Timberlake last year was like perfectly fine. Like I, it wasn't amazing. It was, but it was fine. It was totally fine. I had a good time. It was like shaking my head. It was great. Eh, maybe great is an overstatement. Did he play that uh, country song? I, I have the very out- outlandish take. I think his country song is okay. Um, no, he played. I mean, most of it was that. Uh, what was the song from that like Trolls movie that was on the radio all the time last year? Oh, is that oh is that the oh I know the one? It's with all the people doing the dancing in the streets and stuff like that in the video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like really, really, really upbeat, but it's like kind of good. And they had all those light up bracelets, like make all these colors around the stadium. Perfect Super Bowl song. I thought it was great. I don't know. Maybe I'm easy to please relative to everyone on Twitter, but I thought he was good. Speaking of everyone on Twitter, so I was looking for, I noticed you, I remember you wrote a story prior to this year and I couldn't remember the exact details of it. So I went back looking for it. And I came across a different story of you talking about Tom Brady getting bitten by a dog and people on Twitter being mad at you. Can you please lay this out for me and for the rest of us who haven't heard the story? Okay, this was really weird. I also, like, I've never understood the brunt of the criticism that I got for this. I think because, like, I don't listen to the radio. I did get, like, a lot of texts after that from people being like, my parents say they're being really mean to you on the radio. And like, I don't know. I, that's not my media diet. So like, whatever, it's fine. When it's my friends saying I'm hearing like this happening, then maybe I'll care, but it's all like a different generation, whatever. But at a live press conference, 
Tom told this story about like several years ago being bitten by a dog. And so like we were all live tweeting the press conference and my tweet admittedly was not well worded, but it, it referenced both Scar and this thing happening like in Foxborough. So one like Scar to me implies that something is like long in the past and we were in Minnesota. Like there was no way that this had just happened. But then like Boston radio is like pretty horrible and irresponsible. So they just sort of like decided to ignore all that and be like, Nora said Tom Brady got bitten by a dog this morning. And I was like, weren't you also watching the press? Like we were all there. This just happened. And it just had legs in a way that was like amazing. And so that one, I mean, I get people yapping at me on Twitter about that one like every day, more than anything else that I've ever done or written. And it was like, my tweet was bad, but it was also just like everyone was stupid. <laughs> what was the actual story though? You got bitten in Foxborough? Yeah, this was like a training camp, maybe, I don't know, eight years ago or something. He was like with, I think he was like walking around with Gerard Mayo and there were some uh, either like military members or, or former service members who were getting a private tour from the crafts or something. And one of the like canine unit dogs bit his leg, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. And it was pretty like dramatic. And it was also like, everyone was really sensitive about Tom having like bloody injuries because this was right after the AFC championship game, which was right after he jammed his thumb into Rex Burkett's helmet in practice and like almost couldn't play. And like like, those dogs are like vicious. That must've been pretty bad. I think. And now it's like, I don't, uh, I'm not remembering the specifics correctly. And it would be not a good idea for me to add for this information about this event to the water stream, but put you back on that yeah, radio. Pretty, it sounded pretty bad at the time and something weird, I think happened to have it take place. Like maybe, maybe they were trying to demonstrate like how the dogs, attacked. I don't know. Um, but yes, something went very wrong, but it was very long in the past. Right, so uh, let me not go to a story that was eight years ago. Let's go to the one that was like two months ago. And actually, I think the, the actual story is a long time ago. Prior to this year, I couldn't find the actual story, so forgive me for not having the specific details. But you did quite a big story prior to the season where you were even researching it by sending people letters, as far as I remember. I don't know. Is this about... So I did a story like a couple weeks ago, or right at the beginning of the season. I barely know like what day or month it is. Uh about Bill Belichick and Ernie Adams, who's the Patriots director of football research, who's this sort of like mysterious figure who does a lot of various duties that like no one really knows what he does. Um, but they went to high school together uh, and they were on an undefeated team in high school. So I did sort of like the story of that season. And yeah, I got in touch with 20 or 25 of their teammates. And I, I talked to Bill and Ernie who like has never never is heard from or, or, um, we never have the opportunity to interview him about stuff. Uh, so that was pretty cool. And yeah, it's funny. It was just to like hear them talking about football in a way that we don't normally get to. Now, of course you have to go back to 1970 to 
make that okay and, and not something that's off limits, but it was pretty cool. And yeah, you know, just to try to get in touch with people, especially if you have a list of names on a roster and you're trying to find all them, like sometimes white pages are helpful. Um, once you get a few people, you can say to them, I'm trying to get this person. Do you know? Cause they obviously all knew each other. Uh, but sometimes if you're just looking people up, all you can get is an address or if a phone number is old or something. So sometimes in a couple of cases, that was, that was the most effective way to get people to contact me. Um, and then obviously this is dealing with, you know, I, I probably didn't use Facebook super effectively. Like some people were like, Oh, I was on Facebook. You could have found me that way. But you know, it's, it's a population that's like not on Twitter. So that was the way to, to get a hold of people. So this was Belichick as a player. Yeah. Yeah. He was a uh, center and long snapper. He kind of looks like a center to be fair. He has that angry, that angry grin of a center. Um, yeah. But- there's a lot about long snapping. So that was, that was actually news to me. I, I knew that he played center in, in high school and college, but uh, didn't know that he was a long snapper. There has to be good Belichick stories from back then, though, surely. You must have got something from someone. Yeah, well, he was just pretty... I mean, the the gist of it was that, you know, no one was saying, oh, we did all of totally predicted what was going to happen. Um, but there were definitely signs. I mean, he and, he and Ernie spent just kind of all their time thinking about football and diagramming plays and you know one of their teammates was really funny and said sometimes I would I would see them at the dinner table and because they went to boarding school so uh would say like I would see them in the dining hall and I would go the other direction because sometimes I just didn't feel like talking about football and I knew if I sat down with them that's all that was gonna happen so I would just go sit somewhere else so that we could you know talk about girls or whatever so he's literally been this football robot for 60 years. He's been on the planet 70 years or whatever it is. Yeah, no, totally. And the, the thing that was funny to me was that he, uh, one of my favorite things that he said, or there were two, um, one was that their, their hardest game, and they, they were a team, they were undefeated, one game that was really competitive, which was against a school in New Jersey that uh, ran a single wing offense, which was, I mean, you know, that had already gone out of style. And so it was this big challenge every year when they would get to get ready to play Lawrenceville, the school, because it was the only week of every season where they would have to figure out how to defend the single wing. And, you know, Ernie drew a lot of parallels to, you know, getting ready to play someone like Tim Tebow back when he was hot um, and just going against something that you're not used to seeing and how challenging that can be for a team. So that was one of those examples where it was cool to get them you know, kind of applying something to a present day thing. Um, but then when he was talking about it, Belichick said something about how his uh, seventh grade Annapolis T-Birds, like school, like peewee team or whatever, they'd run a single wing. And he like completely sincerely said something like, um, you know, in, in retrospect, I'm really glad that I got the experience of playing in that offense. I was like, dude, you're a psychopath. Like, you were in seventh grade. Do you really, like, are you seriously mining, you know, 
insights into the game of football based on the Annapolis T-Birds when you were in seventh grade. But I guess he is, which is telling. Uh, but then the other thing was that um, he said that his French classes in high school were really hard for him. So when they were on the bus, all the other kids were like listening to music and, and getting psyched up for the game. And Bill would be like struggling to read Les Miserables. That's kind of, that's pretty much what I pictured. But I think we should note, boarding school quarterback, probably better passers than Tim Tebow, so that's probably not a great co- comparison. Um, but you kind of you, you kind of bring us to that point of covering the Patriots has to be difficult because, one, everyone, like, they're so big that there are a lot of people covering them, so it's kind of hard to do anything original, I guess. And what you did here was original, obviously. But it's also this idea with Belichick that, there are things you can ask him and he won't say anything. And there, like today, someone asked him, I believe yesterday, someone asked him, uh, what did you say to Patricia at the end of the game? And he literally just responded, no. Uh, he didn't say, and he didn't actually respond properly to the question. He just said no, as if he was telling his dog to sit down and not be bold, jumping up on the table. So, and, but then there are other topics where he will talk for these long soliloquies that go on for three and four minutes. W- was he like happy that you were doing this? Or was he looking at you going, why are you looking into my neutral stage, I guess? Yeah, so it turned out that he was he was really open to it. And that was, I mean, the fact that either one of those things could happen was like 100% in my mind the whole time that I was doing it up until the point that like I had his cooperation and got really like thorough, interesting answers from him for it. Um, and I definitely like it, it was conscious on my part that I reached out to everybody else first um, and, you know, so can bring to him sort of like this is the work that I've done this is where I am um you know I'm I'm hoping that y'all be willing to be a part of it and it turned out that he totally was but I I had no idea what was going to happen but then um you know he was telling me he was saying did you talk to this guy did you talk to this guy did you talk to this guy and and in most of the cases the answer was yes which made me feel good because I could you know say yeah no I already did um but when he said, when he started doing that, I was like, whoa, are you, like, you're trying to help me report? Like, that that's a first. Uh, it's, and, like, obviously, Belichick 1970 sounds like a ridiculous thing to, to look for. But based on what you're saying, and uh, actually, how did you get this idea? <laughs> Let me get that first. Uh, so, fun fact, I went to the same school. Ah, there we go. There's just a nepotism in this Patriots, uh, Patriots <laughs> organization, is there? Um, Educational nepotism. All right, uh, let's, let's talk about the actual team right now and not talk about stuff that was happening eight years ago and 40 years ago. Okay, so this guy is falling. <laughs> uh, yeah, Brady, so Brady, wash. Uh, no, he's fine. I mean, he's not playing very well, um, but no one can get open. So, you know, I'm not really ready to blame him until he's missing guys who are actually open. Well, that is like, so... From my own point of view, that like offensively, I don't think Brady's actually playing that bad. I think they have guys like Cordero Patterson who can run two routes, and they've got Philip Dorsett who can run two routes, and they just run deep or run short and catch a screen. And I think Philip Dorsett can run three routes. Okay, three routes. So, uh, and then you have like Josh Gordon didn't play obviously to begin. We're going to talk about that eventually. But I feel like the whole offense around him has fallen apart, whereas Brady's been fine. What I'm more interested in, because I think it's the part that's going to sustain, is the defense. And you wrote about this in your recap last night. The defense is, like, whatever about the offense fixing itself, the defense seems like it's just a complete mess. Uh, well, so they played really, really badly yesterday. Uh, no parts of it were good. There was The pass rush was non-existent. The run defense, which was terrible last year, continued to be terrible. 
Stefan Gilmore was okay, occasionally okay. Um, but other than that, the secondary still seems confused. And then they're doing this just like rotating corner thing um, half the time, which just doesn't seem to have any sort of rhyme or reason to it. That said, they were missing who I think is their best defensive player in Trey Flowers. Arguably, you know, maybe not the next best guy, but in that top three or four in Patrick Chung, and then a starting corner in Eric Rowe. And so that that does matter. That, you know, you need that right up at the top. But I don't think that explains away how badly they played yesterday. Uh, I don't think they do either. I don't necessarily think that those problems are going to persist the whole season. I think, I think they will get better. Uh, that's mostly just because I've seen them start badly and get better before. It's not really coming from a place of, well, you know, they're not playing X, Y, Z guys. That's not really where they are. Um, this isn't a particularly deep team, but I'm just still in a place where I'm more comfortable saying they'll pull it together because that's what we've seen happen in the past. Then, yep, they're over. Like Rome is burning. Everything's done. Everybody panic. Um, and it's not as if this isn't a team that's had bad Septembers and recovered before. Well, one of the things I noticed in that recap was like, so the, the Lions had their first hundred game, hundred yard rusher in 70 games, which is Crazy, crazy statistic. I don't know how they managed to go 70 games without having a 100-yard rusher, but the Patriots get to be that team that they finally get it against. And one of the things you wrote in that article that kind of caught my eye was that Malcolm Brown starting didn't play well again, obviously, and Danny Shelton played better than him in the preseason training camp? Totally. And, I mean, it wasn't just that he... So he was performing better, but he was also... He was starting. He was playing with the first team. You know, it looked like their preferred team to tackles were this guy in Shelton. And that hasn't, I don't have the snap counts in front of me, but that just hasn't been the case since the season started. And so that to me is is curious because it's been a while since we've seen consistently good football for Malcolm Brown. And I mean, again, like we're going on a full year since they've had a good run defense, basically. And part of it is the, is the speed of the linebackers. But Brown was getting just beaten consistently. You mentioned the speed of the linebackers, and Juwan Bentley, the rookie, is kind of the guy I think they've looked to to try and fix that a little bit. Where like, where do they stand with him right now? Well, he's the... It's, it's kind of... You come at it from two sides, because he's been one of the brightest spots, but that's because he's exceeded expectations from the starting point of all of us hearing about him coming out of college and he's been able to be on the field because his coverage skills have been a lot better than, than I at least anticipated. And, you know, he had the interception. He's been, um, wearing the green dot, which is, you know, a big deal for someone that age, at least some of the time. And so he's definitely a pleasant surprise, but on the other hand, he's still, you know, he's a, a fifth round draft pick. He's, he's a rookie. He's not, he's not, an answer if Dante Hightower is not the player that he's been in the past anymore. You, it, it just seems unlikely that, you know, if he's lost a significant amount of his speed just because of, of aging, you know, I mean, people talk about how he was injured last year, but he, he had a torn pec 
Like he shouldn't be slower because he had a torn pec. That doesn't make any sense. Um, but I just don't think that, I think it's unlikely that, that Bentley totally makes up for that. I mean, it keeps Landon Roberts off the field, um, a little bit more than other players have been able to do in the past, but still that's, that's a weakness for them is that group. Well, I think Hightower is like the guy's area that you need to play well. And you mentioned it, like a peck shouldn't slow you down, but he's 28 years of age and 28 years of age doesn't sound old. It's not old for the rest of us, but if you're a linebacker, it's like being a running back in the, on the offense. 28 years old is probably more like 31, 32 for most positions. So him slowing down probably isn't that much of a surprise. And I think my, my kind of overarching question with this Patriots defense is we kind of knew last year it wasn't great. It ranked like 29th or something in DVOA. It got lit up by Nick Foles in the Super Bowl. And you kind of thought Belichick's going to go out and add some guys and bring in some someone to give the team more of an identity, some high, high, high powered, I guess, high celebrated free agents and spend draft picks on, on guys. But like, it feels like the only addition they've really made, I think is Dietrich Weiss, who has looked good at times. I'm not sure where you stand on him and where, how, how you've been impressed with him through three weeks, but I, uh, I, I, I'm not sure like, have, is Belichick going to take some responsibility for this defense not being better? Because it does feel like you said yourself, they're not deep. They don't have the rotational options they've had in previous years. And they don't have the stars. So you're kind of looking at Weiss and expecting Weiss to be this big impact player on his own. When, when I know Trey Flowers is out, that impacts it. But when Trey Flowers and Weiss are there, it's not like they're going to cover for all the other issues that they have in the linebackers and the secondary. I don't think if you have uh, both Flowers and Wise, maybe eventually some more contributions from Derek Rivers. I mean, he, he played, he made his first, um, he got in the game for the first time yesterday but he was really only used on obvious passing downs uh if you start getting contributions from all those guys and if flowers has a really 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 good year um which i think he is capable of if he's healthy i mean i don't i have a hard time saying that on paper you know i think if the um i think if the front seven or at least the pass rush is really bad this year continues to be really toothless. I think it's a performance issue. I mean, it's not an incredible group, but they have enough guys, you know, I mean, Adrian Claiborne should give them something. Um, he had a decent, decent, uh, summer. I just, I don't know. I mean, they could have used, uh, Duke Dawson, who's the corner that they drafted in the second round, you know, if he were able to contribute, he's on IR. Maybe that means that they're not rotating guys so much on that and and players are able to cover a little bit more and it gives the, the front guys a little bit more time to be productive. I think all those things are connected. Um, I'm actually, in terms of like the Belichick, the GM stuff, I'm more critical about uh, what he's done in terms of the wide receivers than I am with the defense. I mean, he's obviously let, you know, talented players, Jamie Collins, Chandler Jones exit, but I still think that they actually, you know, I, I think Shelton was a, a good um, guy to bring in. I still believe in Claiborne to an extent. Um, I'm less critical about the moves that he made on defense than the way that I think they've neglected the receiver position. Yeah, well, I think that just to touch on the final part of the defense and we'll get to the offense because it is a bigger story moving forward because the offense, I think, will actually be 
a lot better than it is right now. But last thing on the defense, on the pass rush, you mentioned you think you ha- they have the guys there. And I, I tend to agree with you. I think the reason they haven't seen it fully yet is you played the Texans in week one. Deshaun Watson obviously forces you to do contain rushes and he's going to make you look worse by making you miss in the backfield and having the, and Bill O'Brien uses extra pass protection. Then you have the Jaguars in week two. The Jaguars have this offense that they just want to run the ball. They don't want to expose their quarterback. They're not going to drop back and have four receivers and the quarterback hold the ball. They're going to use all these play fakes and stuff like that. So the quarterback's not really going to be in a position where he's going to get sacked. And Bortles had probably the best game he's ever played in his life in that game. So that hurt the Patriots too, obviously. And then you have this Stafford-Jim Bob Cooler offense where the ball's coming out quickly all the time. So it's going to be catch and release. It's not going to be drop back, hold the ball, let the pass rushes rush. So I, I tend to agree with you. I think the pass rush will be better. The secondary needs to get healthy. There's concerns there. Patrick Chong is a key guy there. Like you mentioned, Eric Rowe being out hurts defensively they'll probably figure it out Belichick has a history there where the defense gets better as the season goes along so you kind of just trust that so like you said the wide receivers like so I've had this kind of thing watching the Dolphins over the last couple of weeks how much would they do they wish they re-signed just Danny Amendola that's how bad I feel like this wide receiver situation is that if they just had Danny Amendola it would be a big difference a guy who's catching three passes for 40 yards in Miami oh gosh I mean well yeah, that would be nice. I think, um, and I actually don't, I don't have a real strong problem with either uh, letting Danny Amendola go to Miami or with trading Brandon Cooks. Like, neither one of those individual moves bothers me that much. I do think that, you know, having having a deep threat like Cooks right now would be really helpful, especially from the perspective of the way that we're seeing teams just take Rob Gronkowski out out of the games uh, and being able to because there's just less of the field that they have to defend. Can I, can uh, I, can I, still can I, can I jump in there just for one second? Do you know what the thought process was behind them getting rid of Brandon Cooks? Um, I don't think that they were particularly in love with him and they knew that he was going to start making a lot of money. That's legit. Um, Belichick saw, you know, a way to get value. They had a guy who had over a thousand yards receiving and were able to get back what they gave up for him. So I think to him that looked like a really good deal and he did it. And again, I think they um, really liked him in some respects. They loved how healthy he stayed. He didn't miss a practice all year. Uh, That was something that you heard a lot of guys with the team reference as something that they were really impressed by. But I think just in terms of, um, his ability to make contested catches and kind of like a toughness element, there was a little something left to be desired. I think he is uh, valued a little bit more in Sean McVay's offense than he was here. But I do think that it's important to mention that last year, um, given that Edelman got hurt, they were really, really, really lucky that they had him. And right now, since Edelman's suspended, which is something that they did not to my knowledge, no was coming when they made the decision to trade him. It would be really nice if they had him. Uh, but they don't. Uh, my problem is more just that, like, historically, in the last decade, the Patriots have spent very, very, very little draft capital on receivers, and they've missed a lot of the time when they have. I did a story recently, and I'm, I'm not going to be able to give you the specific numbers, but uh, I compared the production of... Patriots drafted wide receivers, production that they've given the Patriots, 
versus the Steelers, which admittedly is like you're comparing the team that's done it the best. You're cheating. So still since 2009, I think it's like the Steelers have gotten 21,000 yards and 100, like 21,000 something, something, something yards and 140 touchdowns from the receivers that they've drafted. And the Patriots, it's like 6,000 something yards and 30 something touchdowns. And so I'm not saying that like everyone is going to be the Steelers and, and take Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster and, and Manuel you know, Sanders. Manuel Sanders and get the best out of Martavis Bryant and like have that whole situation. I made it very clear in the story that it was, <laughs> I'm choosing the best possible example of how this can go. So like it's unfair, but still get halfway there. Like 6,000 is a lot less than 21,000. And plus the Steelers got, got, um, you know, they got a, a, third when they traded Sanders and the, the Patriots have not been able to recoup draft for the guys that they've brought in, um, who didn't work out. And, you know, the, the one that, um, everybody sort of playing Monday morning quarterback is bringing up now is, is Calvin Ridley, um, who's obviously been doing very well and was taken, um, in between, uh, Isaiah Wynn and Sony Michelle, um, the Patriots do first round draft picks this year. So, you know, that's a little bit of like people just freaking out in the moment and saying, well, you could have done this and, and who knows. Um, but I just think that, that historically there is a decade's worth of examples where they haven't really treated that position as one that they have to invest draft capital in. And you know what? Maybe they should have. I, I tend to agree with you. I do think the Calvin Ridley one is a little bit unfair because Calvin Ridley in Atlanta has uh, Julio Jones being the priority, and he's taking advantage of being getting the other cornerback that no one else has. That their, their, the other team doesn't really care to have covering Julio Jones, so he's basically getting a matchup advantage he wouldn't get in New England. But yeah, I think I think the the idea, the philosophy of what you're saying is right because. Man, uh, I, I don't have them off the top of my head. I, I do, have gone through Patriots receivers in the past who they've picked. Receivers and cornerbacks, I feel like they've always struggled to evaluate. Um, but the one guy they did get, I thought they actually got right, was Malcolm Mitchell. And I think that that's probably unlucky in, on their part because he, is it his knee or his hip, I think it was? His, yeah, his knee. So he, that kind of blew out in them, obviously. I think he was going to play a key role. And the fascinating thing for me is Last year, they had this vertical offense because Edelman was, was injured. This year, it feels like they don't know what they want from their receivers, where you've got Patterson, you've got Dorsett, you've got Chris Hogan, who clearly can't be a number one guy for you. He has to be a complimentary piece. And like you mentioned, when Matt Patricia double-teamed Rob Gronkowski, Brady finished the game by heaving the ball up in the air to Philip Dorsett, who wasn't even looking for the ball and who had no chance of ever catching it. So I, I do think the offense is going to change completely once... Josh Gordon gets on the field and once Edelman comes back, are you mirroring my optimism with that? Uh, I am not. <laughs> not I have optimism about Edelman coming back. Gordon, I think if he if it works out and he can give them a viable deep threat, I think that would go such a long way. Like, such a long way. I mean, my biggest problem with what they did on offense yesterday was that it just it's just predictable a lot of the time. And 
you know, they were using Sony Michelle so much. And he, I mean, he's been getting the teeth radio and, and, and all that jazz. I don't really think, I mean, he hasn't been playing super well, but this is a rookie who's played two games and who was hurt for most of the summer. He's made a few good plays, but the thing is, is that he's, he is getting the ball, you know, either via pass or handoff 80% of the time that he's in. That's setting a player up to fail, in my opinion. So I, I just don't, I don't understand what's going on. I think it's just a lack of, they have so few options that, you know, some of the guys are being hindered even beyond, um, you know, what their own abilities might be doing. So Edelman will help. Gordon, I think, could help more, but has a, a lower likelihood of helping at all, if that makes sense. Like if he's where he could be, that's great. And I think that could do wonders for them, but I just wouldn't bank on it the way that Edelman, even, you know, he's 32, he's off an ACL, that's less. Gordon just like does not have a very good track record recently of being available to play football games. Well, I assume Bel- Belichick still hasn't said anything about him, but has anyone in the organization talked about their hopes for Gordon or their anticipation of what they're going to get from him? It's literally just radio sounds. Belichick has taken the step forward of acknowledging that he is on the <laughs> roster. <laughs> I assume it was just the hamstring wasn't ready for him not to play on Sunday. That wasn't just a playbook issue or a hamstring. Like, I assume it was the actual hamstring. So that's my understanding is that it was, you know, pretty health related. Like both of those things are factors, right? Like you bring a guy in, he has to learn what is a very complicated playbook, or at least he has to learn, you know, a small package of game plan specified plays in five days. And um, they brought in two uh, pass catchers last year. Martellus Bennett was a tight end who'd been here in the past. And then Kenny Britt, both of those guys actually did play the same week that they were acquired. But then the year before, um, Let's see, it was Michael Floyd, Matt Langle, and a receiver. Matt Langle's a tight end you've probably never heard of. Um, and then a receiver named Griff Whalen. Uh, none of them played the same year that they were acquired. And then Bennett doesn't really count because he'd been here before. And then if you, you know, even if you go back a little further, just the track record of, of guys playing that position the same week that they come in is, is pretty checkered and leans more towards them not being ready to do it. So I think that is a factor, but judging from what I've heard, he spent half his time with guys who were definitely going to play like non-injured starting players. And then he would move into a group with, um, you know, who's on IR and then two of the backup linemen who were like, so it was like, we were going back and forth going, Oh, looks like he's going to be active. Oh, just kidding. Um, but he was with the trainers a lot and he was doing a lot of stretching. That to me indicated that it was like pretty health related. Yeah, I, I can't imagine the, the playbook is going to hold him back because like, they're, what are they going to ask him to do? I assume they're going to just ask him to, hey, take the top off the defense, catch some screens, run some shallow crossing routes. It's not like he's going to be doing slot work option routes that Edelman's going to handle. Yeah, no. I mean, they literally just kind of have to tell him to run straight. <laughs> it, it, it's hard for me to imagine that it would be that hard. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like it might be no, difficult. 
look, I don't mean to, I don't mean to uh, make it sound like less than it is because you're, you're also working with a quarterback who's pretty fussy about who he trusts and who he likes. Um, I still say that it's more of a health related decision, but I, it's more than possible that grasping the playbook and just being ready um, did play a role. Well, speak, speaking of said quarterback, uh, what do you make of all this Gronk stuff? Because I find it a bit bizarre that we get this story about the Lions trade the day we're playing the Lions and just the idea that, like, imagine if they had traded Gronk. <laughs> imagine how bad the offense would look right now if they had, didn't even have him. So, like, you've got uh, you, you've got this Gronk story and Gronk comes out and confirms that he's literally just, I'm playing with Brady, I'm not playing with anyone else. And the kind of concern, if you're a patient, Sam, when you hear that means, or when you hear that, you probably think, does that mean we're losing Gronk as soon as Brady retires? Um, well, I think that's, so to me, that's not, if, if you're a Patriots fan, to me, the thing that you should be concerned about hearing Gronk say that is that saying that out loud and confirming it and being like, yeah, that's exactly what happened. I said that, you know, I said that I wasn't going to do it and I killed it. That's exactly what Bill Belichick doesn't want. And, and if you're a Patriots fan, I was frankly worried about, you know, we know that there's a lot of discord within the organization, whether fans like to hear it or not. And the thing that makes it okay is that the stakes are so high because they win so much and they always have a chance to, to be in the Super Bowl and to win the Super Bowl that it keeps players in line because if you screw it up, you're screwing this big, amazing thing up. Now, if they start going down, you know, if they're not winning, the stakes aren't as high anymore. And that tends to be when, you know, the, you know, what starts to hit the fan with teams is when they're doing badly, everybody starts to air their grievances. And so when I hear Rob Kronkowski say that I kind of hear, the coaches wanted to do this thing and Belichick wanted to do this thing. And I said, no, because I'm team Brady. And so that to me is what, what should give you a little pause when you hear that. If, if you're someone who wants to see the Patriots succeed and, and do what they've always done over the last couple of decades. Um, the other thing being that I think it's possible, you know, Gronk could retire before Brady. Gronk's been really like, I'm not so sure I want to do this for that much longer. I might go make movies or, or do WWE or whatever. And Brady's Mr. Like I want to play until I'm 745. Um, so I don't think that, I mean, the idea that Gronk would retire with Brady, that almost might mean that you're getting more Gronk than, than I would guess at this point. So, yeah, I, I was surprised that he said that, but that's that's not why I would say it's concerning. Gronk's got com- some cruise ships to hit, so he's got he's to gotta spend his time on those rather than playing football in the arch, practicing for football in the offseason. Uh, you, like, so you consider that Gronk saying that is kind of like a little bit of a power move, a public power move? I think it could be. I mean, Gronk is actually pretty open for a guy in that building, he's someone who I think has a tough time with BS. Like he doesn't like to, he doesn't like to lie, um, which is nice. That's a good quality in a person. 
And actually sometimes like occasionally Gronk has these like weird press conference moments where he'll just sort of like, he'll either just like walk off and he'll leave and it won't be like he got mad and left. He'll just be like, okay, bye. And then he leaves and everyone's like, what's going on? And sometimes it's because someone's asked him a question that he knows he's not supposed to answer. And I think he kind of like, occasionally he'll kind of freeze up when his options are to say the thing that's in his head that he knows he's not supposed to say or to give some like weird attitude. Like I actually think that, and this is something that I like about Gronk, like doing doing the the fake platitude is actually a little bit hard for him, um, which is cool. That's a cool, that's a good quality in a person. Uh, so, t- you know, Gronk sometimes just like says stuff and sometimes I think he has a low tolerance for um, just the, the politically correct like thing you're supposed to say. So it might not be, it might've just been a thing that he said, but it's certainly like I was, you know, ears up when I heard that because yeah, I mean, it's an acknowledgement of the fact that the football personnel people who are led by Belichick were trying to do something, and he made it not happen. The logic behind that is just crazy, though. I know Gronk is old. I know his value is probably higher now than it's ever going to be because he's in his decline. He's had back surgeries. But yeah, like you assume this team is trying to win now, and if they're not trying to win now, Gronk is kind of key to that to doing that because they don't have any other options. Dwayne Allen, Jacob Hollister, that's not going to do it. <laughs> you need him. You need him because he's the only person in that building who's any in any way fun. That's, that's all you. That's all you want to keep him there. <laughs> because he's really good. Well, that too. <laughs> that's secondary. Um, <laughs> but you you mentioned the turmoil. So are, is this like? I don't follow these things that closely, but I know other people do. And I know in general, when this stuff gets reported on and the national guys do it, the ESPN guys do it, it's very easy for fans to discount it. But when it comes from someone locally, it's given more credence because they're in the building and they're closer to these sources and whatever whatever other reasons people have. So is this kind of this manageable turmoil that's going to be fine regardless of what happens this year? Or, like, let's pretend for a moment that this cratering can happen and it's all going to fall apart and they're going to lose to the Dolphins and the Dolphins are going to be the AFC East champions. Can we see this being the year of everything blowing up in their faces? We don't really know when that's going to happen, right? Like, no one's going to know until it does. We know that there are internal problems. There are internal problems with a lot of teams. Now, I don't say that to discount the ones that are are in New England because they're real and they're serious. And uh, when, you know, sometimes Brady will say things like, I don't know why people insist on talking about it. And like part of the reason is that, you know, he goes and does interviews with Jim Gray where he says he pleads the fifth when it comes to whether or not he's appreciated or not. Like there have been very clear, you know, publicly issued slights coming from both sides. There's a lot going on and it's definitely real, but if it only matters to people in terms of when it's going to cause them to lose games. I still don't think that we're seeing that. I would rather be wrong predicting. I would rather be too late predicting the Patriots demise than be one of these people who's always like, it's over. It's all going to end because everyone who does that just ends up looking silly. And we have so much data illustrating that, they have an ability to come back. I just, I'm just not ready to do it. Um, particularly because I still think that they'll beat the dolphins and then they're two and two. 
after September. And does that really bother anyone? I don't think so. But in the grand scheme of things, yes, like this is going to end badly. But does it happen this year? I would say no. And by the way, when you say one of those people, you mean me. That's what, that's what, I, that's what I do. I, I predict the Patriots demise every year. Just so then when I'm right, I can point back and say I'm right. Well, if that's if that's fun for you, that's <laughs> fine. But you're going to be wrong five times. I'm going to be right this year. So I would rather be right five times and then wrong once. Yeah, I'm wrong all the time. At, at, at this point, it doesn't make a difference. Um, so you you think they're going to beat the Dolphins? So you you don't you're not really concerned about them winning the AFC? So you think like the Dolphins to me? I think look a lot better than they have in recent years. I'm probably like the Dolphins. I haven't watched enough. Yeah. Perfectly honest. And I really should. And maybe if I do, I'll suddenly be like a little bit more afraid. I think Adam Gase deserves a lot of credit because from what I've seen, their offense looks a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Um, I just don't, I don't have it in me to say that they're, that they're going to win. I don't have it in me to say that they're going to go to Foxborough and beat the Patriots. Again, like it's just, I would just, I feel like I'm coming from a place of logic if I am more content to be wrong um, the other way, if that makes sense. Um, I'm, I'm glad you said that, by the way, that I haven't watched them enough because I infuriates me people when I bring them on here or I, or I hear them anywhere else and they haven't watched something and they will just go for three or four minutes and try and pretend that they have. And it's like, I can tell when you're lying to me. Don't try and play this. <laughs> it's like, so I, actually, I do actually appreciate when someone comes on and says that. So, and I've had people say this to me as well before. So I understand like that it's a, it's a good thing. It kind of speaks to how you're being honest in what you're reporting and what you're writing about, what you're talking about. We work on Sundays, you know? Like, <laughs> there's a lot of, you've got to make time to go back and watch a team's, whether it's entire season or just like, you know, feel like you've gotten up to speed. But no, I mean, I tend to do that stuff with whoever the the upcoming opponent is. I mean, if I start getting to it on a Monday, it's good. But usually that starts to happen on like Tuesday or Wednesday. By the way, you're not you're not going to know this if you're listening to the pod, but you might if you see any of the videos that I'm probably going to put out that we managed to color coordinate here perfectly. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even notice. I mean, black is pretty easy to color coordinate. <laughs> hey, I'm going to take any victory I can. If, if, if someone's dressing like me, it's all right, because that means my fashion sense isn't that bad. Normally, it's pretty bad. Anyway, thanks, Nora. That was exactly what we were looking for. Uh, I assume listeners can find everything you're going to be doing moving forward in the Boston Globe. Absolutely. Absolutely.